This is Theory of Change. I'm Matthew Sheffield. We've got a great program for you today, but before we get to it, I just wanted to let everybody know that you can go to theoryofchange.show to get the archives for the show with video, audio, and transcript of all the episodes. And then I wanted to also give a plug for Flux Media Network. Go to flux.community for more podcasts and articles about politics, religion, lifestyle, and media. And we've got all kinds of different content out there. And if you've got a project that you're into, please do reach out to us on our contact page. We're always interested in finding new people and hearing what you're doing. And uh, if you like this show, um, I encourage everybody to subscribe on either Patreon or on Substack. You can go to theoryofchange.show um, to get those links um, as well. So thank you very much for everybody who's a paid subscriber. I appreciate that a lot. All right. So with that mandatory plug out of the way, let's get into this episode. We live in a world of unprecedented convenience. Many of us can do our jobs entirely remotely. We use our smartphones to do a million different things. Electric cars are commonplace, and you can pretty much get anything delivered in a matter of days, if not hours. There's no doubt that when it comes to commerce and communications, things have never been easier. But outside of those areas, particularly when it comes to personal relationships, many people are finding modern day life to be anything but convenient. Some people have struggled with making friends or even realizing that they need them. And in many cases, the organizations that used to help us build relationships like churches and community organizations are no longer relevant to many of us. On the romantic side of things, modern-day media, whether explicit or not, has enabled us to know what we find attractive in others, but there's absolutely no guarantee that we can get what we seek. Sure, dating websites and apps have made looking for that special someone easier than ever before, but actually finding relationships that are lasting and meaningful is often very difficult. I hope you've enjoyed the previous two episodes in this mini-series, and I'm pleased to wrap it up with a conversation featuring Naomi Banks, a woman who's seen firsthand many of these trends I've just described throughout a very multifaceted public life which began in adult entertainment, but has since taken her into a new career as a life coach and personal advice podcaster through her new program, Ask Naomi, Bridging the Gap. I'm really glad to have you here today, Naomi. Welcome to Theory of Change. Thanks for having me. Thanks for having me, Matthew. Okay. All right. Well, so tell us, for people who haven't heard of your show, what's the angle with it and how often are you coming out with episodes? Ask Naomi Bridging the Gap podcast. I actually created that, which actually started off with just Ask Naomi. And it was segments that I had. I had a, a radio show on, on Sirius XM called Chocolate Radio. And that's where I open up to the audience to where they'd be able to write into me to ask uh, questions about sexuality, about preference of being in a relationship with a woman or a man, kind of to break those stereotypes between each other, but also give them to where they are comfortable with having those talks about sexuality or their sexual being. Where Axel Bridge and the Gap came from, it came a little bit from there, but also because I'm a very spiritual person. My background that I come from, that's a part of my life, it's not my whole life, but a part of my life for the past 10 years of my life, probably a little longer, 16 years to say, I've been an adult film star. And from there, I've learned a lot from there, but that's where I truly was able to connect spiritually with myself. And so Acts Nine Bridging the Gap podcast is a space and a place for safe space 
for people of different lifestyles, of people of different understandings from different backgrounds to be able to conversate about certain things, whether it's love, sex, relationship, cultural differences, and even spiritual uplifting. A lot of things that I really uh, want to teach a lot of people or really to encourage them is to about self-love because we can't do anything without self-love, period. I can say probably 90, 99% of us truly need to be healed. And I'm going to say 100%. We are in a broken world. We are in a broken state right now. And this is all over the place. I think social media gives us a, a lot of times, it can be both a, a positive and a negative, but it gives um, people voices to speak, but also it gives people a way to harm people as well. My thing is, Ask Naomi, is to bring all of those different cultures in together where we can understand each other, but also teach each other on how to speak to one another, how to serve one another, how to treat with one another and lead with love. So we had talked before that you had said that your audience is tends to be more male than female. And that's and that is interesting because you don't see a lot of podcasts that are watched predominantly by men about sex, love and relationships, much less hosted by a woman. And so you're, you're in an interesting spot there. And how, I mean, how's that, how is that, how's that been for you sort of talking about this? I mean, you're obviously a very articulate and, and well-spoken person. So I'm sure you, you've handled it very well, but like, have, has any of your audience talked about how they, cause like a lot of, a lot of podcasts out there that do talk ab- about lifestyle stuff with, with men tend obviously tend to be male hosts and they don't some of them can be toxic i think i mean what's your what's your take on all that i think um just the way that i approach it and i mean i am an adult film star so i don't stand in judgment of anyone that's one thing that people can say well her lifestyle or her career choice that she made she really don't have a, a leg to stand on to judge anyone And so that gives people a safe space to be able to come and talk to me because I've already been through that or I've done those things so where I won't look down on them. As for men, I am more they are more comfortable with me because, yes, once again, I've been in front of the world in a very vulnerable situation as being nude, having sex on camera. And so for them, I will be the ideal person to have that conversation with them where they won't be embarrassed rather than a regular woman, everyday woman, if that makes sense. So for them to be able to speak to me, those walls are down for them because I wouldn't laugh at them. If anything, I will help them to understand what it is that they're feeling or better yet, give them the right verbiage to be able to speak to someone about some of the desires that they need. And so it's more of an open communication coming from a non-judgmental way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, no, that makes sense. And I mean, and it seems like to me that this is kind of an extension of, of what you were already doing when you were working in adult film. So that, like, I went to a book event from our guest on the previous episode, Tasha Rain, and I was just struck at how wholesome these interactions were that she was having with her fans. Like, they they did feel a sense of connection with her and were extremely respectful. And and were interested in what she had to say, and I I, I mean I assume that's how it is how it was for you when you were in um, in the adult film industry. Is that right? Yeah, somewhat it is. I guess the the thing is, it's truly breaking that stereotype that they put us in, that they demonize us as adult film um, performers, stars, or whatever you want to call it. The, the thing is, is that we have to remember that we always created through 
this action of sex. <laughs> the thing is, is that we need to learn how to um, be comfortable and search and find to be educated. So not only for ourselves, but for our children as well. Um, a lot of people walk around with shame. Majority of the people around in society are ashamed about the, the word of sexuality and sexual being because they're not educated on what it is and what it is for us as um, a human being. We are sexual beings, we are spiritual beings, but we're not taught those things. We're taught either one way or the other. I think for me, when I hear people say, that's unique that you're doing that. And I'm like, why is that unique that I'm doing that? I'm a, I'm a person, I'm a human being that's speaking everyday things. Why is it different coming from my mouth? Because what? Because I chose to have sex on camera. That makes me different than another human being in that aspect that I don't have the same mindset or thoughts. And you understand what I'm saying? So I guess with that process is like breaking that stereotype of what a porn actress star should be, look like, smell, <laughs> live like, like breaking that whole stereotype of that. That's one of my reasons why I did Ask Naomi Virginia Gap podcast too, is so people can look at the human side of us. Period. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And now, what about the women who are tuning into your show? Like, what do you hear from them? I was surprised. You know, as I as as I continue on with the show and with my website, Element, I have more women come in, and they're more comfortable. I'm not, I'm not as intimidating as I probably was before. And it gives them a voice to be able to embrace their sexuality and not be ashamed of some of the, the feelings that they have. And also it's the battling with the spirituality too. And, and knowing that it's okay to feel this way sexually in that way is just educating yourself on what that is and making sure that you're not harming yourself and no one else while doing that. But with women, it, I empower them. I encourage them to live in their truth, whatever that truth is. Yeah. Now you said you people thought you were intimidating before. What do you tell, what do you mean by that? I'm curious. That women thought you were intimidating. The stereotype. The stereotype of because she's a porn star. The thing is that mm -hmm. I will be having be doing something every day, be having intercourse every. And that's not the. I don't. I don't do it when I'm filming. That's it. But in their mind, it's a stereotype that this is what porn stars do all the time. It's like drugs and rock and roll. No, I don't do drugs. Mm -hmm. That's, that wasn't it. The sets were very professional. There was no drugs and no alcohol on none of the sets. For me, I've always tried to be very welcoming to, to anyone, both man or woman, because beauty comes with, within. It's not always on the outside. It comes with within. And so... I see women as all women are beautiful, especially if you have a great attitude, <laughs> get a great spirit, then you're beautiful to me no matter what. But no, women. But I think a lot of people haven't learned that. I think a lot of people haven't learned that. And yeah. so because they haven't learned that, they judge things only on the surface about other people. Yes. That's one of my, one of my things that don't judge a book by its cover. Take time to read within the pages. I've lived by that all of my life. Yes. Mm -hmm. Okay. Awesome. Yeah. Well, so now you you mentioned on here a few times about how you're a very, and you mentioned that on your show a lot, that you're a, a spiritual person and 
You were born and raised in Chicago as a as a Baptist, and you've talked about the, you had an episode recently about with a woman who had written a book called "Sex, God, and the Conservative Church." And so now, but so like that was something that you yourself had experienced. Can you talk about that a little bit in your own life? Well, one thing I found out while doing my research is that Christians was the number one <laughs> was the number one consumer. <laughs> oh yeah, that I did find out. And number two, when I did get into the industry, I did not realize that a lot of my family members were avid porn consumers. I did not know that because I didn't watch porn myself. So I did not know that. When they did find out, were there a lot of, yes, there was a lot of shame. There was a lot of talk. There was all of that. I even had some family members and friends that stopped being my friends and family members because of my job career. They didn't look at me as the person they just looked at me who they already knew yeah they didn't look at me as that they just looked at me that i chose it so it had to be a reason why and the reason was never the reason why i said which is my truth the reason oh she must be doing drugs they know i've never did drugs a day in my life you know what i mean or it, it was this or is that or it was her boyfriend then i've never listened or anyone they knew no one could ever tell me what to do but this was a, an excuse that they had to give to themselves because they were seeing me doing something that they did not want me to do or was not acceptable to them. And plus us being a family that's in church, Christians, Baptists, this is something that we just don't do. Now, let me tell you this. I did respect that of their choice and decision because that's, that's what they felt. What I did is when I got into the industry, I did not go to church. The only time that I went to church was either it was a funeral or it was, it was a wedding. Otherwise, you would not see me in church at all during the whole time that I was in the industry because that was one thing that I did not want to do. I did not want to disrespect God's house. And I knew me growing up in church with family members and stuff like that. And I've always been a praying person. I've had a praying grandmother who taught me how to continue to pray. And even through my seven, eight, well, six years, six and a half years of active being in the industry in front of the camera, I prayed every day. Whenever I had a set, I was on my way to set. I would pray. So I've always had God with me spiritually. I've always had that with me. So I knew that what I was doing, I wasn't wrong for it. It was a choice that I felt that I needed to do at that moment in time for survival for myself and my family. And I'm not ashamed of it. And I remember all of those prayers that I did. I always asked God, when it's time for me to go, when it's time for me to leave this, this, whatever's happening here, then give me a sign and let me know. And that's what he did. And I left in 2012. I was able to leave at the top of my game and I, and I left and I left and I continued to be in the industry doing radio and other things, but being hardcore and being in front of the camera. No, I stopped doing that. I stopped allowing being on set, having sex that all that was gone. Now it was just me. Now trying to figure out what's my next role or what am I supposed to do after that? And then that's where this whole healing process came come from. And this is where I talk about and speak about now on my Ask Naomi Bridging the Gap podcast and through my Elevate Me Self-Discovery program. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And well, I, and you mentioned your, your reasons for getting into the business. Um, you want to talk about those a bit? But the reason why I, I got into the business was because my father was very ill. Um, and I had just literally, I probably been in, 
in LA probably for about six months, almost a year. It's about eight, nine months I was in LA. I had packed up, moved, um, resigned from my job, you know, just was going to LA to make it big. I was um, a producer, director, screenwriter, all of that. Like I've done music, all that's what I was there for to make it big in that. And, and how old were you at that time? Oh, at that time I was like 29, 30 years. I was a grown woman. I was 30, wait, no, I was like 31, 32. I just gotten a divorce. So I'm grown with a family. And so I'm at, I'm there at my home and my mom calls me and she said, well, your dad's very ill right now. And I was like, um, well, he was sick before I left, but this time that he needed 24 hour care, nursing care all around the um, clock. And her insurance wasn't paying for it. We'll only pay for a portion and she still had to pay her rent, her house, her apartment. I mean, her home and her, her, she just had to live. And I still had a little brother, a younger brother that was there with her as well. And they just had to live. And so she was asking me if I would come back home to help. And that means to come get a job there and work from there to, to help with it. And so I told her, well, mom, let me call you back. Let me sit, see what I can do here. And so I knew I was kind of making momentum in the mainstream thing with doing different shows and movies and stuff like that, that I have been doing. And I really didn't want to leave L.A. because I figured that this is where I was going to be. This is where me and my my family was going to be. But I still wanted to be able to help my parents back at home. So I had previously did some new modeling, Playboy, Penthouse, Overseas and stuff like that. And it paid pretty well. And so I had answered this ad in the paper for figure models. And I went to go see Jim South. Jim South was one of the, the big, well, now that I know who he is, back then I didn't. I just knew him as Jim South. But he comes to find out he's one of the, he was one of the biggest adult actresses agency. Actually, he was the one who signed um, Tracy Lord. So when I went to him with my, I had my whole, my whole book portfolio and everything with him to show him that. And we took pictures and he said, you would do great in videos. And I was like, well, no, I've done music videos. And I really didn't want to kind of get it because I knew what kind of money that I wanted, that I needed to be able to help them. And I knew once you get published, someone sees you, then you you on that. Everybody, they wants to shoot you again and again and again. And that brings more money. And he said, no, you would do really good in video. I'm talking about adult video. And I was like, well, no, I'm not interested in that at all. Like, no, you know, no, I'm not. As I'm walking out of his office, I walk past another office to actually one of the one of the young ladies. I actually did mainstream modeling with her. We were on the scene together doing modeling, but her then husband, he was in there. He told me to come on in and I came in, I spoke to him and I gave him my portfolio. And he want he as well said, well you should do some video. And I, again, thinking music videos, I said, well, no, I've done music videos. I really don't really. He said, well, no, I'm talking about these. And he pulled up a CD with the pictures and it was a porn video. And I was like, well, no, I don't do that. No, I don't do that. So I went home, forgot about all of that. Then my mom called me again and she said, have you made a decision on what you're going to do? Because we really need your help. And so I said, well, give me a minute, mama. Let me let me figure some stuff out. And the little money that I had from, I had did this, this residual from this EA Sports gaming that I had did. And I had sent her the residual for that to hold her off for a minute. 
And I said, and then I started doing my research, but let me go back. So I had to do this job in New York and I flew to New York to do this job in New York. And on my way back, I was watching how back in the day when they had the, the TVs in, in, on, the, on the plane. So I was able to watch the documentary on Jenna Jameson. And I was watching her and I heard her say how much money was to be made. And of course she made it look so glamorous. And I was like, okay, well maybe, mm, let me go back in home and do some research. And that's what I did. So I spent a few months doing some research. And during that time, I was just sending money back to my mom from the residuals and things that I was making from work that I've done previously in mainstream. And when I did my research and I found how much money that it was making, I found out how much of a big brand that I can truly create. And then I just started going from there, mapping out what I was going to do. And then I went on and did it. I called looking for an agent. I had a friend of mine who was a photographer. He came in and took my pictures. So I kind of went in and knew what companies I didn't want to shoot for, what companies I did want to shoot for, what kind of image that I wanted to put out there as a woman of color being in this industry. So I, to myself at that time, I, I figured I dotted all my I's, crossed all of my T's and put the exclamation points on all the bottom. So knowing going into this industry, that I will be protected as much as possible as I, as I could be with the testing at that. When I came in at that time, it was you had to have mandatory testing before, you know, anything. So I, I went through that process and did that. And so it was very welcoming. Everybody was very welcoming when I came in. So then I finally went back to Jim South and he was like, OK, then he sent me around to, to everybody. And then I was offered a contract. And then from there, my lawyer at that time, we discussed and he was like, well, you know, you're not really trying to be in here long term. Right. You said you only had a five year plan for it. And I said, yes. He said, well, don't take the contract. Go around and do this so you can make that money and then you can go. And that was my idea of what I was you know, thinking of doing. But then all of a sudden, everything started to blow up. And before I knew it, my name was all over the place. And then my family found out. <laughs> and then I'm here now. <laughs> yeah. Well, now, what did your parents think when, when you told them uh, where you were getting the money from? What well, did they have to say? When they, because I didn't tell them anything, they found out. So they found out probably like maybe about six months, seven, seven months later, about seven to eight months later, they found out I have um, gotten a phone call from my sister and she was crying. And I was like, what's wrong? <laughs> and she I can laugh at it now. And she said, why did you tell me that it was something going on with you? And I was like, what's, what, what are you talking about? She said, I just saw this. And I was like, oh, my God. I was like, you saw what? She's like, yes. And it's just like, and, and people, they, the family, they've been watching it for a while. And it's just got back to me. Why did you tell me? You know, and I was like, because oh, we were really close. And I had been talking to her. And but my grandmother knew something because I used to talk to my grandmother every day. And when I was doing in the end, when I was active in the industry, when I first got, I wasn't calling her every day. I would call her like every three or four days. And she would ask me, well, how you doing, baby? Is everything good? And I would just send her money. <laughs> I, would, I would just send her money. I would just send my mom money. So they just thought I had did a, a couple of shows that they had saw me on. And so they was like, okay, so this is where the money is coming from. Not knowing that that really wasn't no money, but that's what they thought that it was coming from. So I didn't say anything until 
two family members actually went and took it to my grandmother and Ah, uh, okay. Yeah, and that's how they found out. But when I finally did talk to my mom and my grandmother, they just told me to be safe. My grandmother said, I know, and it, man, and I, I'm not going to cry because my grandmother said to me, she said, I, I know you. And she said, I know there's a reason on why this is happening. She said, I just want you to mm. be safe. That's all she said. She said, I just want you to be safe. My mom said the same thing. My mom said, I am not here to judge you. That's what God does. That's not me. And then she asked, do y'all really have sex? <laughs> and that was it. And then from then on, I knew if I had them two and my dad and my sister, if I had my them, my immediate family, and, and that didn't, would anybody else say that that didn't matter? I had my support system with them, and which truly helped me through, because I see a lot of the young women that's in the industry that don't have that support system that I had. And I think that truly would, would help make me create me as being as strong that I am because I did have that support system. My show, I had probably one of the first ones to, to kind of cross over that kind of had the melanin like I do was the beautiful iconic Dominique Simone. She was one of the first one, her, Heather Hunter, Jen and Jack, me, those were, they were more in the golden ages back in 80, 88, 89, in the late 80s, 90s. That was the old golden era. When I came in, I kind of had my own look in certain things. And I came in right when the internet was going, was popping. And when I was speaking with Dominique yesterday, she thought I was in when she was in. She was like, how your name was so big and you only came in in 2006? I said, yes. I said, because I came in at 30 something years old. I knew exactly what I wanted. I, I had researched all the companies that I wanted to shoot for. And then I was just blessed to be on set with some people that looked and said, okay, you're supposed to be over here. And they took my hand and took me over there, meaning they helped lead me over there to meet other people. And, and I knew when to say no, and I knew when to say yes. I knew all money wasn't good money. So it's a lot of things that I shot and a lot of things that I didn't shoot. Obviously, one of the issues that you were dealing with, you know, was being a Black performer in an industry that especially historically had had a lot of, well, frankly, racist business practices. How did you feel about that going into it? And how was it for you when you were in it? And how do you feel like it, it, things are now for today's uh, Black performers? That's a big question, I know. <laughs> it's, it's, I'm, I'm going I'm to try to break it up. And, and when, I, when I got into the industry, I remember a friend telling me, <laughs> that it was going to be hard for me as an older black woman. And, but even though I didn't look that age, so I even had a, a fake ID that had me 10 years younger. Hey, it's Matthew Sheffield. Thanks so much for listening to the show. This episode continues for quite a bit longer, so I hope you can get the rest of the conversation. Just click over to theoryofchange.substack.com or you can go to patreon.com slash discoverflux and you can sign up and get full access with video, audio, and full text transcripts of every single episode. I really need your support to keep doing this and to make it sustainable. Thanks so much for your support.